Good to see you, spiritual family. You may be seated. It's so great to see you all here. And uh, when I say spiritual family, this is true family for me because I got saved at this church, became a Christian, committed my life to Christ back when this church was only two years old, 1996. And uh, how many Momilani Elementary School service people we have here? Remember those days at Momilani Elementary School? We got a few there. All right. See, we're old school. And Pastor Norman talks about this, and I'll never forget it, the smell of the rotten milk. Because we used to meet in an elementary school cafeteria, and the dump truck would not come to pick up the, the bins, the trash bins, till the next, day, the next day after our service. We'd have to endure the stench of rotting milk. And then the Pro City High School Band was always practicing when we were having our evening services. And uh, so we had to endure all that, but yet God grew the church. And one of the people that were reached was this crazy teenager back then in the 90s. Um, and praise God, my life was forever changed. Uh, I'm so grateful for this church, so grateful for how God has used this church. And back when I came, we were about 300. Pastor Norman started the church in 94 with a 30, a team of 30. So two years later, when I came, 300. And now we have over 3,000 people meeting at our many locations and this main campus here. So let's give God some praise for that. Thank you, Lord. One of the specific people I reached during that time uh, after I became a Christian is my very own mother. And I didn't grow up in a Christian household. I didn't know God. And uh, finally, when I was 15, committed my life to Christ because a friend invited me to church. And from that point on, I knew, I was like, I want to see my mom and dad come to know Jesus too. I want to see my mom and dad experience the same kind of transforming love that God has showed me. I know he wants to show them. And it was a challenge for me because here I was wrestling and growing in my faith, but wrestling being a teenager, being respectful towards them and believing for them to see the Jesus in me. And oftentimes, it's the hardest to win people over that are closest to you, right? Because they see the ugly in you too. But here's the good news. For those of us here that are here and we're like, have an empty seat next to us, and we're thinking, man, that seat should be filled by my spouse, by my child, by my uncle or aunt or grandma, grandpa. There's a family member there. The promises of God are true, amen? And the book of Acts, it says, you and your household will be saved. And so for six years, I prayed and believed from 15 to 21. And then when I was 21 years old, I found out my mom had cancer. And I began to pray for her and share my faith in who Jesus is in my life and how he wants to be the Lord and Savior over her life. And of course, uh, back then, uh, I was in L.A., so I said, go see this woman. She'll probably be in some, like, moo-moo gown, because this is back in 2001. Her name is Pastor Camille. Yeah, tell, tell her Tim Ma sent you. And then she'll pray for you. And, and so she was surrounded by our loving community here and they prayed for her um, and Pastor Camille began to walk her through that whole process of getting to know Jesus. A month later from when she first stepped foot through the doors of this church, LCC days. How many LCC people we have? All right, a bunch of old school people, nice. And so um, a month later, she goes to the doctor. They did a scan on her body. They couldn't find a single cancer cell, glory to God. Let's give God some praise. 
So she left the hospital that day and surrendered her life to Christ immediately. Saw the love of God and the power of God at work in her life as many of us have already experienced. But I say that as encouragement because God is doing something great in this season right now. We're seeing it at downtown. We're seeing it here. Numerous testimonies of different lives being touched, cancer being healed. Uh, hardest of hearts, the most arrogant, prideful people being broken before God, coming to know God. And for some of us, that's, that's, you're like, that's me, Pastor. I was the guy that said I would never come to God. I was the guy that said there is no God. I was the guy that said I would never step foot in church, but yet here you are. And there's so many others that God is trying to reach and show his love to. And it's difficult for Christians sometimes with our faith because there's other Christians maybe, and it's of course surely not us in this room, that, that maybe they do things and it's like, it's like that embarrassing uncle that we all have. You know, I know it's graduation season. It's like, oh, uncle, enough Heinekens already. Nah, 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 I can handle another one. Right, you're like, oh, oh no, we know what happens after number six, you know. And, and so there's Christians out there, again, there's not any of us in here, right, with our halos on, that, that embarrass the name of Christ or embarrass the church. But yet, when you look at what people, how people label Christians, and uh, there's a major organization, you may have heard of them, it's called the Barna Research Group. They did a survey and they polled non-Christians and they asked non-Christians, how would you label Christians? Of course, in our perfect minds, we think, oh, they are so loving. They are so giving and generous. They're so patient and forgiving, right? Top three labels of a Christian. No, on the contrary. What is number one? What do you guys think? Shout it out. What is it? Hypocrite. Yeah, I hear, I, I, I hear that all the time, especially as a minister, uh, I, I hear that, like, oh, I don't want to come to church. church are, the church is full of hypocrites. Oh, that's perfect. You, you belong here then. <laughs> I don't say that, but that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> but uh, that's actually number two. Number two is, is Christians are hypocrites. That's the label. Number one, Christians are judgmental. And the interesting thing, as we continue here in Matthew chapter 7, We've been on this 10-week journey because we looked at Matthew chapter 5 and then Matthew chapter 6. And it's Jesus' manifesto on what the kingdom of heaven is like. That if we, as followers of Christ, were truly to live out the transforming grace and truth of what Jesus has come to do inside of our lives, that he has allowed us to experience heaven you know, when we think about heaven, like how it's such a great place, like we want to be there. Well, we can have and experience heaven right here, right now on this earth, a glimpse of it, a picture of it, if we would choose to listen to his teachings and his words and allow those words to become a part of who we are and how we interact. And so it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And, and really, it's not like this mount is like a mystical word. It's just because he preached this message on a mountain and so we've been looking at Matthew 5 and 6, and it's not just rules for a living. You know, like this is what a good Christian looks like. You obey this rule and that rule and this rule. But really, this is showing us the heart of God. And when God's heart becomes our heart, and we allow that same kind of love to get into our relationships, we begin to see our relationships transformed. 
So Matthews 5, 6, and 7, these chapters are not rules, but they help us in our relationships. And so when we look at Matthew chapter 7, where we are today, we're going to talk about this concept of good judgment. Now, good judgment oftentimes is uh, understood and used in the phrase in our modern-day society, like, you, you made a good decision, right? Like, when your wife this morning asks you, honey, how do I look in this? In that moment, man, you are praying hard. God, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I need good judgment right now. And that's usually how we use the phrase good judgment, but it's a play on words. It's the fact that Jesus doesn't tell us not to judge, but he tells us how to judge, and there's a right way to judge. So good judgment is the right way, the pure way, the way that glorifies God in the way we live our lives and in which we share judgment. But the reason why there's this, um, this big misnomer that as Christians, we're not supposed to judge. And in the world, it's funny, they don't really study scripture, they don't read scripture, but they're so quick to recite this one scripture where Jesus says, do not judge. Don't judge me. You don't know me, right? And so this comes from John chapter 7. Let's turn there as we continue Jesus' teaching, Sermon on the Mount. And again, as you hear this, remember now, he's not giving rules, but he's helping us because he wants us to have blessed relationships. Verse 1 says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs to what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Let's go ahead and bow our heads as we receive the word of God today. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that your words are not just written in an old religious book, but your words are living and active. And so we pray for your living and active word to breathe life into every area of our heart today as we receive your truth. We also receive your grace, and your grace transforms. So we thank you, God, for your transforming word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to break this down together. It seems like Jesus is telling us not to judge, but really what he's telling us is we are to know the difference between bad judgment and good judgment. That there is a right way to judge and there is a wrong way to judge. So John chapter 7, we allow scripture to interpret scripture in what we just heard in Matthew chapter 7. When Jesus says, do not judge, he is not confused. We're going to break it down. I'm going to explain it. But yet in John chapter 7, verse 24, he's saying, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. So there is a way to live our lives that we can judge correctly. How many parents do we have here in this house, even if your kids are grown? Right, so as a parent, thank God, we are allowed out of love to, to cast judgment onto our kids in a good way. 
okay? So I know when we, when we say that, the word judgment, oftentimes because of the way society has treated it, it, it's this negative thing. It's like looking down upon, right? It's like this, this verdict that you're handing out. But when my youngest, okay, gets annoyed at my number three, I have four kids. It's a lot of kids. Uh, some of you have more. God bless you. But when my youngest gets annoyed at my third child, sometimes for no reason, this is worse years ago, sometimes she didn't look like the look on his face and would just crack him right in the face. Like, like, it's like UFC, you know, but it's a Honda Odyssey, not UFC ring. And she just starts punching him. In that moment, as a parent, as a loving father, I'm making a judgment when I say, Son I, I try not to say my kids' names. Oh, well, too late. Sanaya, stop hitting Kenzo. <laughs> no, no, Kenzo. Like, she's just so mad at him. But because of that, she's seven now. She's seven years old now. Um, she was punching above her weight class because Kenzo's three years older. So when she was four, he was seven. She used to just beat him up, man. And, uh, and I would tell her, like, even though he deserves it. No, just kidding. <laughs> but I, I just tell her, that's not right. Like, even if you're upset at him. But the, the crazy thing is when she wasn't, like, he didn't even do anything. Just didn't like the way he looked at her. And she'd just punch him, you know. It's like, man. <laughs> and, and I promise you, okay, she, did, she doesn't learn that from her, uh, her mom or me. <laughs> I don't know where she got that. I don't have UFC playing on the TV 24 hours a day. Um, but, but in that moment, again, judgment is good. Judgment is good. And uh, for some of us, like the, the word judgment, like we don't realize that the New Testament is written in Greek. And so when we go back to our main verse, Matthew chapter 7, Verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. The Greek word that Jesus is saying here, because the New Testament is written in Greek, is krino, K-R-I-N-O. So everyone say it with me, krino. Okay, you guys just learned Greek in church today. Congratulations. You feel so much smarter already. And so krino means to make a decision. Make a decision. So last night... I exercised Crino. I was at uh, a child's birthday party, and they had, like, fried noodles, and it reminded me of my days at Highlands Intermediate, Manapua Man, you know, the, the guy that sells the Manapuas out of the van, and he had the best fried noodles. Well, the fried noodles last night reminded me of the Manapua Man's fried noodles, and I already had seconds. So I had to make Crino, use Crino in that decision, uh, that moment, to not go back for a third plate of fried noodles. Save some for the kids, you know. <laughs> and, and thank God for that, right? Like many of us, we have to exercise self-control. We have to make the right decision and saying, okay, that's enough. I better stop eating. Like we have all these graduation parties to go to. And it's like also summertime, you know, where we go to the beach. So you got to make a decision. What's more important to you? And so we exercise crino in every facet of life. So crino, God is not against. In fact, he it commends it. It's a sign of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, we see it in Luke chapter 12 where Jesus commends the ability to make good decisions. So when Jesus now is teaching and says, do not judge, what is he talking about? What he's saying to us is oftentimes we judge on the outer appearance and we don't understand what's going on in someone's heart. 
And then all of a sudden, we try to label their heart and not just their action. When only it's God that can see truly what is in man's heart. So what I mean by that, here's an everyday example many of us deal with. Right? You're driving on the freeway. Somebody cuts you off. So that action of them cutting you off, maybe they cut it really close to the car, maybe your car, maybe they're speeding. That action is wrong, and you can label it as that. There's nothing wrong with that. If they're speeding, they're over the speed limit, they didn't cut with enough distance, that's not right. So you can call that wrong for wrong. Like, that's wrong. But then anger starts to build up inside of us, and we want to let them know how we feel about that. And so instead of the beep, beep, like, God bless you, you know, I'm here, don't hit me. It's like the, you just want to, and then my wife, like, sometimes, um, I worked on this, right, over the years. Sometimes she's like, man, why didn't you honk them? Okay, don't tell my wife I said that. <laughs> I forgot to ask her for permission. She's like, you should have honked them. And as, as a pastor, like, our church, like, you know, 3,000, over 3,000 people come every week. The last thing I would want is, like, I let, oh, and then they look at me, hey, Pastor Tim, hallelujah, I just wanted to get your attention. Oh, God is so good, oh, you know. I, I, it's, that, it's that fear that keeps me from road raging. Thank God, use whatever it works for you. Um, but for some of us, we then jump to the next thing. Instead of just that action being wrong, we now start to think about that person whom we don't even really know, never ever met before, and saying, that's a horrible person. How inconsiderate this person is. Man, this person has no regard for life. But we didn't know, like, maybe what the person was going through, right? Whether it's a, a bad server and we make a judgment, this person forgot my order or has a nasty attitude, and we start to label that person now that that's who they are, and what makes it worse is now we start to think that our assessment and our label of that person is God's assessment and God's label. Like, like as if, yeah, that, that server must be a lazy person, yeah? And then we look, yeah, right, right, God? And God's like, yeah, I know, yep, you know, that, 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 that person, so sorry about him. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. Like, don't assume that what you think about the person is really what God thinks about that person. See, when Jesus came, he came fully man because he wanted to relate to humanity. But oftentimes in this society, especially in my opinion now more than ever, I, I was born and raised in the 80s, but we didn't have social media back then. Now anyone can be an internet warrior puff their chest out, get out their phone or keyboard, and start talking smack about somebody else. Right? Start, start telling someone how they really feel. And we live in a very polarized and divisive nation. And we're, we're, that's just our everyday lives. But if we are to understand what Jesus is teaching here, that we have the force and the ability to be able to transform the relationships around us and turn the tide in what, what is happening right now in our society. Because that's the power of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven doesn't have to just be a place where we die and then one day, then we can have peace. But amidst all the division, the bickering, the pointing of fingers, we can have peace right now. But that starts with us not putting ourselves in the place of judgment that yes, the, the decision, the action, the words that that person said, that was wrong. But then to go further and dehumanize them and put ourselves in a position of God 
and saying, this person is always going to be like this. This person is blank, and we label their character. That's where we don't understand. And so Jesus then furthermore says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what is Jesus saying by this? To break it down, oftentimes when people misjudge us by our actions, what do we try to do? We try to justify it. We explain it. We think, wait, wait, hold up, hold up. Wait, we want them to stop, and we want to then tell them, like, this is what I meant. This is why I did this. But yet, the opposite, right? When someone does something wrong towards us, we don't give them a chance to explain. We just want them behind bars immediately. We want to hand out the sentence and the verdict immediately. And so when Jesus is saying, with the same measure you use, it would be measured back against you, he, he wants us to pause. Like, just as we want to be able to help other people ex ex understand what's going on in our heart, this is not what we meant. We weren't trying to hurt you. In that same way, instead of us just bringing quick accusations and, and thinking the worst, right? That's the, the common denominator. We think the worst in a person God's saying, can you just believe the best? Because why? Because that's what God wants for each and every one of us. Even when we're living our worst, God was willing to give his best. Even when we thought we had no destiny, God has a destiny, a plan, and a purpose for each and every one of us. But that truth doesn't just extend to the privileged few in this room, like it's just us four and no more. But for God so loved the world. That's his heart for every single person, especially for those that have done some bad things in their lives. Maybe it's even the person sitting next to us, seated next to us, have, have said things and, and maybe done things, and we then label them, and that's it. Like, we just leave it there. So, so what are we called to do? Well, we're called to first deal with the sin within if we could do this first, and when we say first deal with the sin within, we're not saying the other person. We're talking about us. So what Jesus is going to say next is not just deeply spiritual, but is deeply practical. That if we can allow this to be implemented in our everyday lives, our relationships will be transformed. First, deal with the sin within. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The first thing I want to point out here, Jesus keeps using the phrase brother, and by the way, this is a gender-neutral um, term back then. That's just how they spoke. And so it wasn't just for, you know, a brother like for males, but this is brother and sister. Who would you call your brother and sister? Well, first of all, it's, it's the family that we are born with, right? Our, by blood, we are brother and sister. And so oftentimes you have a real close relationship. You know each other. But also, like, I use this term in, in the church. I have a team of people I serve with and people like good friends of mine uh, here at this church in this location at downtown. And in the morning, sometimes I, 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 I tell them, good morning, brother, how are you? I know it sounds very religious, but the reason why I say it is because that's how close they are to me. 
I see them as a, a genuine brother where I know they're going to be there for me. I know they have my back. And so here Jesus is saying, when you see the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, but as Christians, it's like we treat it as when you see the speck of sawdust in your enemy's eye, in the person you barely know, in an acquaintance, and then we're so quick to call out sin in other people's lives, like we're the sin sheriff, deputized sin sheriff. There's a new sheriff in town. I'll be your huckleberry. And we just start like saying, sinner, sinner, you know, like it's tombstone, like the OK Corral. And we're just nailing people left and right, calling out their sin. Like that's not what Jesus is saying. It's, there's a relationship already established. Now, it's okay for us as Christians to look at something and be like, okay, that's wrong. And as a Christian, because that's wrong, like I got... Uh, on a bachelor party, I was already following Christ. I got invited to a strip club for a bachelor party. So I didn't cast judgment upon that person like, you lustful man. You committed adultery in your heart, you know. But I, I as good of a friend, I'm a part of this person's wedding party. And I said, like, I cannot be a part of that. So I had to make a judgment without casting judgment. And so that's what God is calling us to do in our lives is that if someone is not a brother, meaning not within our, our close vicinity, first of all, as Christians, but even maybe it could be like a best friend that doesn't walk with Christ, but you have that foundation of relationship where you would consider them a brother or sister, then we aren't to go ahead and give family rules to someone that's not in the family. Does that make sense? Like in our household, like many of us local people, we don't wear shoes in the home. When I got up to L.A. where I lived for 10 years, it was crazy, right, Pastor Paris? Pastor Paris lived in the mainland for a bit. Everyone just walks shoes in the house. And, you know, I can't be like going to someone else's house and, and give my family rules. What's wrong with you, overturned tables? Oh, you den of sinners, you know, wearing shoes in the house. So disgusting, you dirty people. But, but that's the way we treat other people in society because they don't know the word of God. We treat them like they should and they should follow the word of God. And it's so sad. So Jesus is saying, brothers, when you see a speck of solace in your brother's eye, so your brother or sister, and so who should I? Micah, you can come up, please. So the speck of sawdust, speck of sawdust, right? So say, say Micah... Maybe, maybe he's going through some stuff and I see it in his life, right? So to, for me to, to see what's going on, I have to get close and I can see like, oh, Micah, you have a sawdust in your eye. Can I remove that sawdust? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but Jesus, right, he uses a hyperbole here as he's teaching this. He's saying, you see the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and he calls the, the listeners, he's saying, you hypocrite, first remove the plank, the plank. So sawdust, and you compare it to a plank. <laughs> Take the plank out of your own eye. Many of us, we're so quick to call out people. We see, we, oh, this guy, he frustrates me, right? He's so greedy, and he doesn't want to lend me money. He doesn't, you know? But then, but then the thing is, maybe, yeah, maybe he's dealing with some issue on money and greed. But when we get really worked up, we re get really upset, oftentimes it's the, again, the, the two labels of a Christian. There's a reason why people say that. Judgmental and hypocrisy. 
So there's the, a type of judgmental hypocrisy that happens in our lives where the thing we see in the other person's life, we get really upset at. Why? Because it's actually in our lives. And we're actually really upset at ourselves. And when we call them out, we're trying to hide behind their sin. We're trying to deflect that my sin is not as bad as their sin, that speck. So if I'm trying to remove the speck from Micah's eye, but I have this plank coming out of my own eye, Micah, come on, man, let me help you remove the speck. It's not very effective. Why? Because it's the sin within that's actually causing the barrier, the division from us being able to engage in our relationships. Thank you, Micah. Let's give Micah a hand. And so when Jesus is saying, do not judge, he's saying how not to judge. That first, really, we need to bring ourselves before the ultimate judge and allow God to examine our heart. When someone does something that really offends us or bothers us, yes, it is wrong. Yes, maybe it goes against God's word. But what is it inside of us first that, that is hitting us so hard, that is getting us? And we're wondering, you know what, this person... He's so bitter. He's so unforgiving. But is it because we're the ones that are bitter and unforgiving that we're getting all riled up at that, that fact and what that person did? And so God is saying, deal with the plank first inside our own lives. See, the good thing about that is it gives us pause, that we're not so quick to rush in, guns blazing. Hey, let me help you. Let me help you out. I love you. Take this out of your eye. Like, if someone tried to remove a speck from my own eye with this, man, I'd be like, can I get another doctor, please? <laughs> but yet, that's the way we treat our loved ones. That's the way we treat our nearest and dearest relationships. And no wonder we're separated from them because the separation is within us. And we need to allow God, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through this word called repentance, right? When I, when I came to Christ... Years ago, back in 96, I repented, I turned to God. But then later, as I continued to grow with God, I realized that repentance is a, not a one-time decision. That if God were to show me all my sins and all my shortcomings all at once, when I was 16 years old, 15 years old, I would have been overwhelmed. I've been like, oh, I can't, that's too much. But thank God he does it in layers, and he uses people to reveal those things in our lives, the ugliness in us. And oftentimes, it's the people closest to us. So that, thank God, Scripture says, love your enemies. I've been married now for 17 years. And sometimes I got to remember that. Like, what feels like my wife is an enemy right now. She's against me. She is not for me. You know, get behind me, Satan. Get back. <laughs> you know? Thank God for the truth of Scripture that even in the times where I think she's unlovable, God's saying, love your enemies. But I didn't realize that actually God is trying to do something greater inside of me. And so repentance allows us to turn those areas back to God. And it's not just one time. Like some of us, maybe we dealt with bitterness. Some of us, maybe it's anxiety. Like we don't like being around anxious people because anxious people make us more anxious. Can you stop shaking your legs? Sit still. You're making me all nervous and anxious. 
And we get mad at them, but really God is trying to do something within us. And we're blaming them for our anxiety when we've never really given God up our anxiety that we're dealing with. And, and deeper than that is what's causing that anxiety, right? Is it, is it uh, uncertainty of finances or health? We're, in a room this size, we're sitting with all kinds of issues here. And I'm wondering how many of us, we've kind of just buried that issue deep into our lives. And we just walk around with it and we just hide it. But God is trying to surface it and then he uses people to do it. And so first we need to deal with the sin within. And the good news is that when we present this to the perfect judge, yeah, this is not good. Yeah, this is what God calls sin. But thank God he approaches it with not just the truth that this is bad and we don't need this in our life, but he approaches it with truth and grace. And so we're going to go ahead and look at Galatians now, which breaks it down even further how we are to remove the speck from someone else's life. We are to come with truth and grace. Everyone say truth and grace. And we're going to break that down if you don't understand what that means. That's why God's brought us here to grow in this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. If I were to remove something from someone's eye, I would need to do it gently. So that's, that's the first aspect, that we are to do it gently. So in that moment, if you are, your blood pressure is high and the person that, that offended you, you see them and just the thought of them just makes you angry, that's probably not the best moment to come in and say, I can do it gently. <laughs> no, you can't. Take a pause. Slow it down. But, but I love this. But watch yourselves. Again, this passage here in Galatians is hearkening back to what Jesus said about the plank. Watch yourselves, what's going on inside of us. And I forgot to say this earlier, but um, in Matthew 6, Jesus just finished teaching as before we headed into Matthew 7. So he's, it's, it's just one long sermon. He just said that the eye is the lamp of the body, right? And then now he's saying, take the plank out of your own eye. And so when he's saying take the plank out of your own eye, he's saying what is the, the, the sin that's not just in your eye, but really in your heart. And so when he says watch yourselves, he's saying watch out what's going on in your heart. Or you may also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. See, sometimes we think like, oh, I'm so much better than him. I don't struggle with that. that that's what that guy is struggling with. Is. And if we just leave it there, we are deceiving ourselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. So what God is showing us here in Galatians 6, it says, if we can go back to, I believe, verse 2 carry each other's burdens. You know when we just come at people and we call them out of, our, of their sin? That we just call it out, right? Like that's sinful. Like you're calling people out on their sin. But Galatians 2 is saying call people up from their sin. So instead of calling them out on their sin, you sinner, we want to encourage them and call them up from their sin. 
in, in other words, it's restoration. Because God is all about relationship. He's all about restoring relationship. And he's all about restoring people individually. And so there's been all types of, of encounters that I've seen in my life where, you know, it's easy for us to cast judgment. Like, how could this person do this? And then, and then the, the flesh inside of us wants to see the, the punishment, the demise. And those aren't bad things. Like, oftentimes, it's, it's those things that help that person come to repentance as well. But what Galatians is teaching here is we want to see them restored. We want to see them not hurt, but healed. And for that to happen, we need to take up their burden. It's not just their burden, but let me help you. Let me take up your burden. It's a heart to love and not just to accuse and condemn. And so when Jesus says do not judge, that's actually what he's referring to. The condemnation that oftentimes we bring into our relationships and the charge that we make against other people, that's for God to do. What is our job? It's to lift up one another's burden. And for me to do that, I can't, I can't lift up by coming down at somebody. I need to come under them and then lift it up. And then when you see this picture of lifting up someone else's burden, there's one specific person that comes to mind. And who is that? Jesus. And when we look at John chapter 1, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If there's anyone that could have levied accusation against accusation on upon our lives, it's Jesus Christ. He not just sees our actions, he knows our intentions. He sees our heart. And he could have been the one that called out every single person he was around. Uh, if we were to come in this room, he could rightfully so call out every single person in here. But he didn't come down to cast condemnation and judgment. He came to bring salvation, grace and truth. And we're going to allow the Holy Spirit in a moment to deal with our hearts because some of us, we've only been on the side of truth. And so we're so good at just calling out people for their sin. And that's truth, but there's been no grace. And in, in, in Hawaii, we want to be all graceful and like, oh, no, it's okay, it's okay. And we keep saying everything's okay, but it's not okay. And we just come with grace without truth. But God wants to bring us like the intersection of the cross, that Jesus came with grace and truth. And as people of God, we are called and created in his image. And he wants us to live in grace and truth. And when we interact with other people and they hurt us and they offend us, he wants us to be able to share grace and truth and demonstrate grace and truth in that moment. And so I close with the story, you know, 17, of 17 years of marriage. And I'm so grateful that my wife chose to stuck with me stick with me for 17 years because I look back at the first few years of marriage and I was already a Christian. I was already a full-time campus minister. But man, did God have to do a lot of work in me as a young married man. See, the main thing that really bothered me about my wife was how angry she would get at me. And I'd always be bothered like, why are you so angry? And I look at her, and no joke, I would yell at her, say, stop being angry. 
I mean, hello, <laughs> that was like the dumbest thing to do. If someone's angry and you just tell them stop being angry in a negative and harsh tone, that's just gonna make things worse, right? And, and I'm just doing that and then not only that, but you know, I'd be like, you have to forgive. Bible says you have to forgive. Why won't you forgive? And really the anger and the unforgiveness was in my life, and I'm chasing her, come back, forgive, stop being angry. And she would literally run and lock the door in the bedroom. Open the door! I mean, open it, you know? And I was using this whole accusation against her about her being angry, her not willing to forgive, I was using it as a battering ram, trying to ram down, not just our bedroom door, but trying to ram down her heart. What's wrong with you? No wonder our marriage was filled with a lot of turmoil, a lot of fighting. And so this is the truth, that even as Christians, there's so much God still has to do inside of us. And it wasn't until I finally stopped and was thinking, why do I get so angry when she gets angry at me? Maybe God is trying to do and, and deal with the layers of unresent, uh, uh, this unforgiveness in my life and resentment that I was dealing with. And it was a lot of childhood stuff that I went through. You know, growing up in a household without God, that I had, I had parental figures that demonstrated that against me that would lash out in anger and that triggered me and so really what I thought being a leader in the household and a godly man trying to deal with my wife's anger God was actually dealing with my anger and it wasn't until I came to God and allowed God to not just bring his truth but his grace that wow despite all that you still love me despite all that you still call me Despite all that, you still receive me just as I am. That that grace is transforming. And that grace could then be extended towards my wife. So after I allowed God to work the anger out of my heart, that gave pause and enough distance for God to work anger out of her life. But also it allowed me to extend grace. In that, those moments where I feel wronged and and justified that, that, you know, she should not be angry. Like if she knew why I did that or why I said that, she should repent. It was me that should repent. But in those moments, instead of levying the truth, I could bring grace. But it was through truth and grace that allowed both our, our, ourselves to grow. And because we grew, our marriage grew. And now it's, those days are far behind us, praise God. You're like, oh, thank God he's a pastor, right? <laughs> Pray, glory to God. Glory to God. But it took so many years of God working that plank out of my life. And here's the thing. It can be painful, but the good news is it's purposeful. God wants to use it to restore and bring healing, first in us and then through us. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to pray for us right now. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that when you came, you had every right just to bring only truth.
to expose the ugliness, the, 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 the sinfulness in our hearts, but yet you brought grace and truth. You didn't come just with truth, you brought grace. And we pray in this moment, may you bring your grace and truth right now. Our hearts are open and we realize that there are things that we came in with that we were so bothered by other people when we failed to see that it really was the plank inside our own lives, the, the sinful thoughts, the sinful thinking, the selfishness that has really kept us at distance with people. We thank you, Lord God, that it's no longer going to keep us at distance with you because we're receiving you and you call us just as we are. And so we pray, Lord, that we would beckon that call and hear you, Lord God, and allow you to come and allow you to heal. And for healing to happen, we need to humble ourselves and allow you, Lord God, to turn that heart of rock. And you think about uh, an object that is stuck in rock. It's so hard to remove. But God, you are the only one that can turn a heart of rock into a heart of flesh. And because it is a heart of flesh in what you're doing right now, Holy Spirit, it allows access for you to remove every plank right now. The plank of bitterness. The plank of unforgiveness. The plank of anger. The plank of lust. The plank of fear, anxiety, and worry. Remove those planks. And because it's a heart of flesh, flesh can heal. And you are the great physician. You know, Lord God, the areas in our hearts that need that healing. That even as these planks are removed, it's leaving a hole. And that hole is meant to be filled by you, Jesus. By your peace. By your love. By your kindness. By your grace. And by your truth. So fill our hearts, Lord God, where we need it. Remove the things we don't need and give us the things that we do. And that's your grace and truth. We thank you, God.